Yes, good morning. Uh, great to be with you. My name's Andy. And um, we like, uh, at the beginning of a new term, to kind of seek God and then say, what should we look at throughout the term? So come every Sunday, not just with a random message, but building a story so that we can immerse ourselves in it as a church. And this term, we're going to be reading the book of Daniel together. So the way it works is we'll have preachers on the Sunday, uh, but then for those of you in classic life groups, it's an opportunity to then reflect on what's been preached and, and what, what God's doing in your life through it, because you can't do a lot with 20 minutes on a Sunday. Uh, but actually, uh, the reason we wanted to go for the book of Daniel is it's an amazing story, an amazing picture of people keeping their faith in a very pressured environment. And um, Babylon, all the way through the Bible, it, it, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, Babylon keeps popping up, and it keeps being a place that's powerful and intimidating and dominating, and pressure comes on believers. And believers have to figure out, how am I going to stay pure? How am I going to keep the faith? How am I going to trust God under all this pressure? And I don't know about you, but a lot of times just living in the UK feels like living in Babylon. Living in Reading feels like living in Babylon. Our kids in school are a minority. Most kids are a minority in their class in terms of Christian faith. Most of our young people that are at university are minority in, in their subject, in their halls, in terms of Christians. There's enormous pressure on our young people. There's enormous pressure on us, in our workplaces, in our lives, amongst our extended families, to trust God, to be people that are full of faith, people that have hope, people that have joy. And so what we're going to learn from Daniel and his friends is we're going to learn some secrets from them of how to trust God and stay pure and stay full of the good things that God wants in our lives when we're under enormous pressure. So today I'm going to read the first seven verses of Daniel, and I just want to focus on just one little moment in the story, which is the moment when Daniel and his friends, for the first time, come through the gate and into Babylon, and how they would have felt at that moment. And I'm hoping that God helps us just to feel that a little bit and give us some skills, give us some confidence, give us some faith, give us some courage for our Babylons that we all face, okay? So we're going to read seven verses, uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Okay, you ready? You might have a Bible in front of you. If not, just listen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years 
And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, these things happened a long time ago in a place far, far away. But I pray now, come Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Speak to each one of us. I pray that nobody here goes away without receiving something from you in this moment. Lord, you know our stuff. You know our mess. You know our pain. You know our questions. Come, Holy Spirit, in the way that only you can. Take these verses, take your word, and speak into each one of our situations and give us hope, precious hope, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Daniel and his friends walk through the gate into the city of Babylon for the first time. How are they feeling? What was going on? Their home has been destroyed. The city that they come from has been smashed to the ground. Can you imagine that? The house that you grew up in is gone. Their families, even their parents most likely have been killed. They've been forcibly removed and brought to another place where they don't know the language and they don't know anyone and they don't know what's waiting for. So there's pain, there's trauma, there's shock, there's fear. And their religion, their temple has been destroyed, dismantled, scattered. So they're even thinking, does our God exist anymore? Does our religion even exist anymore? It's, it's gone. They feel alone. They're, they're young teenagers at this point, okay? My youngest is 14. I'm imagining him with three of his friends, all on their own in the world, walking into the city of Babylon. And they come in through the famous Ishtar Gate, this massive gate of the city that opens up and it's engraved with all the gods of Babylon, pictures of all the, the idols that that city worships. And it's as if as they walk in, everything on the gates is saying to them, these are going to be your gods now. Welcome to your new life. Come into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. And I wonder how they felt. Definitely scared. They're probably singing to each other, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I feel like one. And they're wondering, they've got massive questions. How am I going to keep myself pure, surrounded by such impurity? How am I going to keep my faith in my God when we seem to have left him behind somewhere and there are new gods now? When everybody's bowing down to this idol, how am I going to not bow down? Where am I going to get that kind of courage? Where am I going to get that kind of 
integrity. So there's massive questions and massive fear and massive intimidation. And that's how they feel. And not only are they forcibly relocated to a new place, they're forcibly given new names. Can you imagine someone saying to you, your name is not going to be Toppy anymore. It's going to be something else. It's like, no, that, that's my name. You can't take that from me. That's who I am. If you take my name, who am I going to be now? But Daniel's name was a God name in his culture. It meant God judges. God is my judge. And they took that name from him and they gave him a new name, Belteshazzar, which is a God name of the new God, Bel. And so he's got this pressure. It means let Bel protect him now. It's almost saying you've lost your old God and you've got a new God. You've lost the old you and you're a new you now. Welcome to Babylon. And as you come into the gate of a place, it tells you a lot about that place. And they come through the gate of Ishtar and suddenly they see all these idols and all these pictures of gods and they think, my goodness, this is a new world for us. It's the same if you land in Heathrow. Maybe you came from another country, you landed for the first time in Heathrow Airport. Or maybe you came uh, from England, you went on holiday, you came back. When you come through the gate in Heathrow, the gods of England greet you, duty-free. <laughs> Booze, perfume, designer clothes. Welcome, say the gods of luxury and comfort and money and beauty. Welcome to our country now. That wasn't a cheap shot. It's real. Maybe you like football. I'm a Chelsea fan. I go to Stanford Bridge. There's a massive sign there. Chelsea are religion. I've got to go. I'm going to enjoy football. But it's not going to be my God. You go to watch Reading play. You walk in. They've got massive pictures of the players, the trophies they've won. Very small picture. Everyone's coming up to the temple at the stadium here. And you think, okay, I'm going to enjoy football. I don't know how you can enjoy watching Reading, but I'm going to enjoy football, but I'm not going to worship it. You go into the oracle and you walk in and there's that gentle music playing and the air conditioning and all the shiny shops and all the gods of consumerism say, welcome. Shopping can be your therapy. Shopping can be your healing. Shopping can help you feel better about yourself. How do you resist these pressures as a person of faith? You know, what an idol is, is it takes something that God said, this is good, and it steals one of the O's and says, this is God. So things can be good. It doesn't mean we have to bow down to them. And this is the pressure that these guys feeling so they step through the gate into Babylon. How about us? In many ways, these feelings are very similar when we send our kids off through the school gate. They step through the gate into their little Babylon, primary school, secondary school. They're a minority. How are they going to cope with the pressure that is put on them? How will they cope being surrounded by things that threaten and undermine their faith? What will they do when kids in their class start questioning their gender, start transitioning? 
How are our kids going to handle that? What are they going to do when all their friends start smoking drugs? When they're at a party and they're passing around a bottle and it's as normal as anything. How are our kids going to have the resilience to resist that? How will they cope under these enormous, intimidating, dominating pressures? What about university? Students, great to have you with us. I don't know how you feel coming back to uni, starting again at uni. But the pressure when you walk through the gates, the pressure as a believer. Let's be honest, no one becomes a Christian in order to be cool, right? No one becomes a Christian in order to be popular or in order to fit in. Often it's the opposite. Yeah? How are you going to remain virgin when everyone else is sleeping around? How are you going to stay sober when everybody else is getting hammered? How are you going to believe in a good creator when the science that you're taught is fraught with atheism? How are you going to still believe in prayer when the atmosphere is so cynical? Massive pressures. And the majority of us, friends, when we walk through the gates into our Babylons every day, into our places of work, the pressure that's there. We're in, a, we're in the same position as Daniel and his friends, aren't we? Don't, don't you feel that sometimes? The performance culture, the drive, the ambition that's so alien to what it is to be a humble, meek follower of Christ. How do you handle that? The gossip, the backbiting, the slagging people off, the slandering. How do you handle that with a pure conscience? How many of you, if you were having coffee with someone at work or standing around the water cooler in a little break chatting to people, if you really voiced what you really think or believe about some of the issues, what would happen to you? If you really said what you think about abortion, if you really said what you think about sexuality, or heaven and hell, or what happens when people die, or other religions, I don't think you would just lose friends. I think you might lose your job. So like Daniel, we are exiles, a weird, freakish minority. Is that what you signed up for? It's true. We're outsiders, we're strangers, we're aliens, we're weirdos. Turn to the person next to you and say, you weirdo. See, the Bible is really clear about this. I hope, I hope this isn't a surprise for you. I hope you didn't become a Christian and think, now I'm going to be cool and popular, yeah? 1 Peter 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now you're elect, you're chosen by God, but you're an exile. You don't fit in, you don't belong. John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, you live in the world, but you're not, you're not of it. You're not from the fabric of the world, the vibe of the world, the culture of the world. Hebrews 11.13, they acknowledged that they were strangers and aliens on the earth. Did you know the Bible believes in aliens and you're one? <laughs> and so there's this tension, isn't there? We live in Babylon, but we don't belong there. So we're living, but we're longing for somewhere else. We're working, but we're waiting for something else. We're living today, but we're actually dreaming about tomorrow, amen? 
Uh, we live in the now, but our heart is kind of in the not yet. We live in a massive tension. Very difficult for people. Uh, maybe it's easy for you. I find it difficult. And I work for a church, you know. Um, so what can we expect to learn, receive, imbibe, absorb, feel as we go through this term and we dive deep into the book of Daniel? And I don't just mean what can we expect to learn with our brains. I hope it's more than that. I hope it's what can we expect to happen to us. Because the word of God is powerful, yeah? Things are, even as I'm talking now, things are happening to you. What can we expect God to do in us as a community? Three things. Three things, okay? Number one, courage. Daniel was a very courageous person. Here as a young teenager... He's going to show courage. First chapter of Daniel, David will preach it in a couple of weeks' time. He's going to say, I don't want the king's food, I want to do something. He's a teenager, he's saying no to a king. But then when the Daniel in the lion's den story happens, chapter 6, massive courage there. You know he's 85 years old in the Daniel in the lion's den story. I think that's why the lions didn't eat him. They look at him, there's, there's no meat on him. <laughs> Stringy old guy. But he's courageous when he's young. He's courageous when he's old. He's courageous all the way through his life. Wow. He tells King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest emperor of his time, because you are arrogant and unjust and you don't care for the poor, God is going to drive you away and you're going to go mad. you imagine saying that to your boss at work? He tells King Belshazzar, the writing on the wall, I'll tell you what it means, I'll translate it for you. It means you're going to die tonight. Like, speak truth to power, that's impressive. That takes some guts. Want to be more courageous? Let's immerse ourselves in Daniel. What does it mean for you to be courageous in your Babylon? What do you need courage for? How are you going to stand up? How are you going to be different? Some of you have never come out as a believer to your work colleagues or your family. Maybe God's going to give you the courage to do that today. You've never told them what you do on a Sunday. Maybe God's going to give you courage today to do that this week. How about it? Some of you, you need to stand up to your boss about an issue of injustice in your workplace. Some of you, you need to stand up to some bullies who are picking on other people in your space. Let God give you courage to do that. Amen? Just give me a wave if you need some courage. Okay. Most of us. Number two, spirituality. Daniel's a very spiritual person. We're going to see this in his life. He's a prayerful person. He keeps finding ways of praying. He keeps finding ways of hearing the voice of God. He's got a dynamic relationship with God that is more than discipline. It's spiritual. It's alive. He he has fasting in chapter 1, chapter 9, chapter 10. We see Daniel fasting. That means depriving himself of something in order to go after God. He sees visions. He falls into a trance. At one point, he's spoken to by an angel. And, and it's evident in his life. The queen says about him one time, she says, there's this guy called Daniel in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. She can see something spiritual in him. She can see the life of God, the power of God in him. That's amazing. And so the other way that we're going to see here, the other thing that we're going to learn, Daniel's a prophetic book. 
When you read a prophetic book of the Bible, you can expect it to stir up the prophetic in the church community and in your own life. So you can expect to have your ears opened and attuned to God. Your antennas going up in order to hear from God. You want to hear from God? You need to hear from God? Let's expect that. And then number three, courage, spirituality. Number three is wisdom. Daniel was a very wise person. When his bosses or his friends had a problem, they called him to come and solve it. Uh, Wisdom is born from pain, and he's come from an incredibly painful background. But also, wisdom is a gift from God. It comes by the Spirit of God. It's interlinked with courage and with spirituality. You need courage to show wisdom. You need wisdom to be brave. Daniel 1.20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all his magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. Ten t- say to the person next to you, ten times better. So in your Babylon, I'll tell you this for free. We've already done the offering, haven't we? For free. In your Babylon, the thing that will make you stand out is wisdom. And I don't mean smug, know-it-allness, judgmentalism. I mean a kind of a warm wisdom that's hard won through pain and challenges, that understands how complex people's lives are, that's able somehow in all of that to give hope into a situation. I, I call it warm wisdom. Winsome wisdom. It's a gift from heaven. It's a work of the Spirit. And as we dive into Daniel, we're going to encounter that. So, three things. Courage, spirituality, and wisdom, okay? Where do these come from for Daniel? Is he just an extraordinary guy who's very brave, very spiritual, and very wise? Where do they come from for him, and where will they come from for us? Remember what we've just done for three weeks. Work on this muscle here. Look up. They come from God. You know that, you came to church, you expect the answer to be they come from God. But it's not like our songs tell us, you know, search for the hero inside yourself. I've searched for years, I can't find any hero in there. Mariah Carey says to us, and you'll finally see the truth, that a hero lies in you. We say, we love you Mariah, but you're a liar. And when I'm in the fire, I don't want to search for a hero inside myself. When they're thrown in the fiery furnace... What happens? Suddenly the king looks in. He said, didn't we throw three guys in? How come there are four and one of them is shiny? Courage comes from God stepping into our situation, being with us. I do love Mariah, but she is a liar, okay? (laughs) When the people left Jerusalem and came to Babylon, they didn't leave God behind. God came with them. God is everywhere. Ezekiel the prophet saw the glory leaving Jerusalem and going eastwards. He's like, wow, God has gone into exile, into Babylon with his people. When Daniel and his friends, tiny as they are, walk through the massive gate of Ishtar, God is with them. When you send your kids, tiny as they are, into their school environment, God is with them. When you step into university, overwhelmed by what's going on, God is with you. When you walk through the gate into your Babylon tomorrow morning, God is with you. 
And so courage comes from God. They're in the fiery furnace. They're not alone. They look around. Someone shiny who looks like God is with them in the fire. Spirituality, it's about a living relationship with God. It's not just Daniel praying. It's God coming and speaking and meeting him, his presence, his life, his answers to prayer. And wisdom comes from God. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 and verse 12. An excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel. The wisdom of the gods was found in him. Wisdom comes from God. It comes from heaven. Okay? So, in Jesus Christ, and we're going to come in and land, and then we're just going to have a couple of people bring some uh, prophetic ministry just before we uh, respond to this. But in Jesus Christ, we see how God is with us in our Babylons. We learn that in Jesus. God didn't leave us alone. He said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. He sends his son to take flesh, to be with us. The, the gate that we entered this world through, our mother's birth canal, all of us, Jesus enters the world through the same gate, through the birth canal of a woman. He comes in he lived under pressure. He was surrounded by bullies. He was intimidated by enemies. He was the only person that was doing right when everyone else was doing wrong. He was probably singing to himself, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, as he's surrounded by darkness. But this, the word of God says, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He needed courage. He needed a dynamic relationship with God that was spiritual and he needed wisdom. And we see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. He even walked through the gates of death with us and for us. Daniel and his friends walked into Babylon. Jesus walked into hell. He walked through the gates of Hades, surrounded by screaming demons that are mocking him and laughing. Ah, see how the Son of God has finally been killed. See how darkness has won. And Jesus walks into the belly of hell. Because he knows his light cannot be extinguished. His hope cannot be put out. And he knows that on the third day, he's going to rise again from the dead, smashing hell, silencing the darkness, crushing the demons, laughing at the devil, pinning his evil machinations to the cross once for all, rising from the dead and triumphing over darkness forever. And this Jesus then said, I give you my spirit. I'm with you forever. I'm with you till the end of the age. I'm not leaving you alone. My Holy Spirit is with you and with you and with you and in you and upon you. God is with us, friends. So when you send your children out and they walk through the gates of Babylon into their school and you fear for them, know that God is with them. When your young people go to university... Know that God is with them. When you walk through the gates of your various Babylons, into your place of work, into your wide, chaotic, extended family experience, into your pub, into your sports club, into your parole hearing, into your debt advice, whatever space you go into, know that God is with you. He can give you courage, he can give you dynamic spirituality and he can give you wisdom. Amen.